Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 11. We have this day already considered Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, where the Lord Jesus Christ gave credit to a centurion there with a servant sick of the palsy, that he had greater faith than he had heard in Israel. And then he declared to that centurion and the gathered Jews around him that many would come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What a great statement it was. And the children of the kingdom would be cut off, broken off, and cast into outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh Lord, we are blessed and we are thankful. In Romans chapter 11, we have considered and seen in verses 11 through 15 that there was an elect segment of the nation of Israel that God had blinded to the gospel. And the purpose is plainly stated in verse 11 that through their blindness, gospel preachers would be redirected to preach to the Gentiles. And as Gentiles were converted, and they were converted in large numbers, the Jews would be provoked to jealousy and thus potentially converted on the back end of that redirection of the gospel. And the apostle pursues that by explaining it and repeating it over the next couple of verses there in verses 11 through 15. Because he points out in verse 12 that the fall of them is the riches of the Gentiles and the diminishing of these elect Jews, the riches of those Gentiles, how much more their fullness when those Jews would be reconverted or converted back and the whole the church would be whole together. And in verse 13 he explains that he's addressing us Gentiles, that he has purpose in this information for us Gentiles. And we have seen, and I want you to understand, that he wants us to respect them. He wants us to respect the heritage and the history of the church of God in the world. He wants us to be humble because we have less right to the kingdom than they do. He wants us to fear lest we lose it because we can lose it as easily or more easily than they lost it. He wants us to be evangelistically minded toward them like he was. And he wants us to be full of thanksgiving for his goodness toward us. And these things are pretty evident as you read through it. We're going to see them again in the verses that we have before us today. So in Romans 11, the first 10 verses described a great election making a difference in the nation of Israel. That there was an election of grace, verses 5 and 6 describe it, and there was the rest. And the rest were blinded to the gospel. They were not part of the election of grace. They are lost in every sense of the word in their relationship to God. But there was an elect remnant that the Lord blessed and was converted, and the Apostle Paul would be one of them, and the thousands converted at Pentecost in the days following were examples of other elect Jews that also believed. But as we came to verse 11, we saw that there was a group of blinded Jews that were elect. They were unconverted elect Jews. And these are the ones that Paul is dealing with throughout the rest of this chapter, and the ones that their blindness brought the gospel to us Gentiles especially to that generation of Gentiles. It's important to remember that the gospel preached by the Jews, the Jewish apostles, was taken into all the world. And so that every creature under heaven, however God defines that expression, every creature under heaven heard the gospel. It was heard in all the world. So many think that it still needs to be done. That way, to fulfill those descriptive statements, but no, it's already been done. And so in one generation's time, all the Gentiles in the world had heard the gospel. And so the work had been done by this generation being blinded. There was always great animosity between Gentiles and Jews, and it would take too much of our time for me to review that with you, But I think I can remind you of a few things. In Acts chapter 6, there was a need for deacons because Grecian widows were being neglected in the daily ministration of funds given to the church for the care of widows. Gentile widows were being overlooked for Hebrew widows. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 6. And so they had to have a church meeting and fill out a new office to make up for that. Acts chapter 15. Why was there this great council in Jerusalem? Because there was this animosity between Jews and Gentiles. 
The Gentiles knew that the Old Covenant had passed away, but the Jews wanted the Gentiles to have to partake of that Old Covenant by being circumcised in order to be saved. You go to Galatians chapter 2 and you find the apostle coming into Jerusalem and he wouldn't be in subject to those men for one hour. And he wouldn't circumcise Titus who was with him. He shoved it in their face because of the doctrinal necessity of establishing that Jewishness of an Old Testament variety was gone. And so there was even recorded in Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul rebuking the Apostle Peter to his face for his compromise when there was a mixed multitude around of Jews and Gentiles. Peter would do whatever pleased the Jews, but when the Jews were gone, he would do whatever pleased the Gentiles. And you see this throughout the New Testament. And I hope that you appreciated seeing Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9 last Lord's Day where Jesus Christ said to those that call themselves Jews and worship in synagogues but are not Jews, but are liars, and it's the synagogue of Satan that I will make them come and fall before thee and know that I have loved you Gentiles. Because those seven churches of Asia are not seven churches of Judea. They are seven churches of Asia, modern Turkey, across the Mediterranean Sea. There was this animosity. Why do you think there is a chapter called Romans 14 about Christian liberty? To settle issues that plagued the early church of Jews not thinking of having a different view of meat offered to idols that Gentiles had. The same in 1 Corinthians 8. The same in 1 Corinthians 10. Three chapters, one chapter, Romans 14, given entirely, the others partially, to this dilemma between Jews and Gentiles and the animosity between them. And so in all three places, the rule of the apostle is charity. These things don't matter. If a Jew wants to keep some semblance of Old Testament worshiper, if he's afraid of the idol, let him be afraid. Don't you do anything to, to hurt him. And so there's this conflict, and we come to, we see this conflict right now. Because there's going to be a temptation by Gentiles to think that they're more important than the Jews, because they're being converted in larger numbers, and they were grafted into the olive tree, and there were branches of the Jews broken off. And I read to you verses 16 through 24. Romans 11, 16 through 24. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. Period. But if thou boast... Thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, The branches were broken off that I might be grafted. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell, severity. But toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree... How much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Amen and amen. Amen. Verse 16. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. Let's understand the metaphor first before we try to apply it. What in the world is the apostle talking about in these words? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. There's not a tree in view yet. Because a tree is not called a lump. 
So there's no tree yet. The tree's in the second half of the verse where we have root and branches mentioned. So we've got a lump. Now what do you think of when you think of a lump? Other than a sluggard at work who doesn't want to do his chores. What's a lump? Bread. Dough. Dough. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the New Testament church is warned that their communion ought to be kept with a pure lump. Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And that's found in Galatians chapter 5 as well. Well, what's the first fruit of a lump? Look at Numbers chapter 5, holding your place at Romans 11. Numbers chapter 5. There's a very good explanation. All we have to do is compare a little scripture. When you see the word lump, how does the Bible use the word lump in the New Testament? How did Paul use it? Paul used it for dough, for bread dough. And when we look into the Word of God, we find out that there was a first fruit of dough. Every year for their harvest, as they would harvest the various grains in order to make bread, when they took in the first harvest, they were to take of that large amount of grain and make their first dough to begin making bread. And when they made their first dough, they were to grab a little chunk of that, usually 124th from traditional information that we have, 124th of it, and bake their first cake and take it and offer it to the Lord. And when that first fruit of the dough had been offered to the Lord, then the rest of that harvest and the rest of that dough had been sanctified and made holy to the Lord and was ceremonially clean, and the Israelites could enjoy it without fear. And without that explanation found in in the Old Testament under the law of Moses, we wouldn't know exactly what's being described in Romans chapter 11 and verse 16. But when they made their first dough of the season... They would take a small portion of it, the first fruit of it, and offer it to the Lord like they offered the first fruits of other things. But this had already been converted to dough, and they would present a small cake of it to the Lord. Then the rest of the dough was holy. And so now let's come back to Romans chapter 11 and verse 16 and consider what is said there. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and that is appealing to the knowledge of people that understood a little bit about the law of God under Moses and about that little cake of dough that was offered first to the Lord, ceremonially making the rest holy, acceptable to God, His His harvest, His dough. They could eat and enjoy it because they had done all that God wanted from it. Now in this particular place, for if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. The apostle, obviously, by context, is explaining that these Jews that have been cut off and broken off are holy, and they are part of a tree that's holy, and they are part of a tree that is good, and they are part of a lump that is good. And this lump is acceptable to God, and it's God's lump, it's God's kingdom, it's God's church, it's gospel privileges that God gave to both Testaments. I hope that last evening in your reading of Hebrews 3 and 4, you saw that the gospel was preached in the Old Testament, though very obscurely but it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. You should have picked up on that in the first couple of verses of Hebrews chapter 4. They didn't believe, and so they lost God's rest. They lost God's best for their lives by not believing the gospel. And so it was with some of these elect Jews here in the New Testament apostolic transitional generation. If the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. The first fruit of the lump, of the Jewish tree, of the Jewish church, of the Jewish kingdom. Because the whole point through here is that this olive tree is Jewish. It's theirs. You Gentiles are being grafted into it contrary to nature. You're a wild olive tree. You have been unbelievers for 2,000 years. These people have been believers for 2,000 years. And the first fruit that was offered to the Lord was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the first fruit of the lump is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the patriarchs, which sanctified the rest of it. This is so true that it's even mentioned later in this chapter where it says in verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the father's sakes. And and where is the apostrophe on fathers? 
Is it in front of the S, meaning that it's God the Father, or is it after the S, meaning that it's a plural father possessing? It's a plural father. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Has the apostle mentioned this at all in this epistle of Romans? Has he appealed to Abraham at all? Is there an entire chapter dedicated to Abraham? Romans chapter 4. Does does Romans chapter 9 begin with, Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers? And then he begins with Abraham. When he says, They are not all Israel, which are of Israel, immediately he appeals to Abraham, the father of them all. He's the father of the faithful. And so I'm just giving you a few of the evidences that can be raised to point out why we just made the application that we did of Romans 11, 16. We know what is under consideration in verses 16 through 24. It's a Jewish church with some of them being cut off from it by disbelieving the gospel and Gentiles being added to it. You can use the word church. You can use the word kingdom. You can use the words gospel privileges. They all mean the same thing as they're being understood here. This great kingdom of God in the earth, less than 1% of the population, exceeded 1% in a few occasions. This very small minority, this nation that came from the loins of Abraham, was God's nation. It's where God's word resided. It's where God's worship was maintained. They were God's adopted children. God walked with them. God dwelt with them. God was in their city of Jerusalem. God was in their tabernacle. God was in their temple. They were God's. They were His people and He was their God. And the rest of the world was ignorant Gentiles. That is the first fruit. And it made the rest of that tree growing up out of them and the rest of that lump out of that first fruit, holy. And you can see the constant references in the New Testament to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you say, well, were they any more special than we are? Well, God made them special by picking those three men for the start of His church. And His church continued that way for 2,000 years until we get to the Lord Jesus Christ and John. And then there was a reformation of it, and the Jews became a very small part of it, and the Gentiles were the many as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8. But notice Jesus' Jesus' appeal. Why would he appeal to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because they were some first fruit that made the rest of that nation holy. They were the great patriarchs of that nation. That's the appeal right here. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. That means the church flowing from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was holy. There was an elect line coming from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It wasn't all of Israel, because remember, when you get to Romans 11, Paul assumes you've already read Romans 9, where he said they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. But the elect Israel, where did it come from? From Isaac through one of eight sons, from Isaac through one of two twins, and into the fathers, being the twelve sons of Jacob. And so it flows out of that first fruit of the lump. And the lump being the kingdom of God, the church of the Old Testament. Paul declares them holy, which only applies to the elect. For those outside the election, the rest are not holy. They're not part of the election of grace. This holiness is eternal, legal, vital, and final phases, not the practical phase because there's some cut off. And so there, there's, it's a holy branch of God's elect flowing through 2,000 years. We want to see that there in the first half of verse 16, and it's also in the second half of verse 16. If the root be holy, so are the branches. If you're part of elect Israel and part and, and descending from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then you're holy. And the apostle is immediately appealing to this fact to remind these Gentiles that they shouldn't be too haughty about who they are Because if they were to trace 2,000 years of their history, what does it involve? But 2,000 years of idolatry, 2,000 years of the sickest forms of living on this planet, and resentment of God, and invention of gods, and invention of things outside the revelation that God made even in creation. And so we have the apostle establishing and seeking some respect by the Gentiles of these Jews that were enemies of the gospel 
but they were beloved for the Father's sakes. In verse 28 of this same chapter, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. It is tracing a 2,000 year history. I'm repeating myself for you to get comfortable with the idea and interpretation and understanding of this verse. Because you know what, you know the context of it. This is a Jewish tree and you don't belong in it, Gentiles, because you are wild by nature. You are God hating, stump worshiping Gentiles. These people have held it for 2,000 years and God was their God and they were his people. And now things have changed. And you should respect them. Because immediately, he, he explains with an if that starts out verse 17 and concludes in verse 18, boast not. Don't boast against this situation. What we have being described as the church of God, God's kingdom on earth, where God reigns over a group of people that He has chosen to be His citizens. He makes them His nation. He makes them His family. He makes them His children. He calls it a commonwealth. He calls it the family of God. And we Gentiles have been brought into it. We were on the outside of it. We were without God and without hope in the world, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. But now we're being brought into it. And He wants us to respect what we're being brought into. And He wants us to respect those branches that were broken off. They have more right to be in that tree than we do. By their natural heritage their national heritage, and being elect within that nation makes them gods, but they are still the fathers, with a plural father being, with plural fathers being used. Verse 17, and if, when we see that if there, we know that he is going to run a little argument here. If some of the branches be broken off, well, those branches were broken off. That's why it's be broken off, because they were already broken off. That's why these Romans had heard the gospel. Verse 17, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. So I hope you can see that the, the line of reasoning is, be respectful of the Jewish church. Be respectful of these elect Jews that have been broken off that should be part of the church. But God has blinded them for two reasons. One, to get the gospel to you. And two, due to their unbelief. And He's going to be able to use that as an example to these Gentiles because they can be cut off. And if we look around at Gentile Christianity, the vast, vast, and vaster yet, majority have been cut off. And so they didn't keep... They didn't continue in His goodness. And that's what we want to keep as a theme in our minds right now. Am I going to continue in God's goodness? Or am I going to flake off? That's like dandruff. Am I going to beat off? That's like sweat. As we have seen so many do, and as the world is filled with them, flaking off and beating off of the real worship of God. When we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-12, through 12, we find out because they received not the love of the truth, God sent them strong delusion to believe a lie. And if we understand that passage correctly, and we do, that's the Roman Catholic Church, and that's 1.1 billion under strong delusion because they didn't receive the love of the truth. We want to receive the love of the truth, and we want to continue to love the truth. We want to defend the truth. We want to live the truth. Amen. So let's respect the Jewish church that you Gentiles have been made part of, though you're dwarfing it in numbers at this time. And let's respect those that were broken off so that you could be grafted in. If some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. Some of the branches were broken off. We've already seen that in verse 11 where they, they stumbled and they fell, but it wasn't a final fall. We see the fall of them in verse 12. We have a fall of them in verse 22. We have a casting away of them in verse 15. And we have a breaking off of them in the verses that we're considering this morning. So some Jews, some elect Jews of this great 
lump of this tree, this olive tree. And we do not want to read more into the olive tree than we should. It is really just a timeline of genealogical descent from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of God's elect family. The gospel church in the world. The kingdom of God in the world. The varying degrees of obedience within that elect family varied all over the map. But that's, it is not our vital relationship to Christ. This vine and eating and drinking of the fatness is not John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, where if you do not abide in the vine, Christ Jesus, you can do nothing and you cannot bear fruit. We, do, we derive no vital sustenance or vital energy for bearing spiritual fruit from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from David, from Samuel, or from anyone following from them. All we have become is part of a church of God. And you say, well, if that's all, the passage isn't, the passage isn't what? Very important? It's, it's this important. And how many verses do you need? Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, when Nebuchadnezzar had himself a vision, Daniel explained that vision to him of the four great empires of world history and said, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. That's how important it is. When John the Baptist burst on the scene, he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus would say, Gentiles will come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the kingdom of God on earth. This is where God walks with his people. This is where God is worshipped. It's very important. But yet, it's not so important that we are going to start talking about photosynthesis pollination, and other aspects of a tree, or we're going to end up as idiotic as those that look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and wonder about the oil and wine being poured into his wounds. And look at the two pence given to the innkeeper as being the Old Testament and the New. Or look at David putting five stones in his shepherd's script and think that that means the five points of Calvinism. Just look at what it is. These people have held the church for 2,000 years and their fathers were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and you've been brought in among them and your fathers are, do you want to hear the names? Cain and Nimrod. You don't belong in this tree. So don't get haughty about the Jews. In fact, why don't you have the burden of my heart to see them converted? Like verse 14 describes. This is the point. When it says the root and the fatness, well, what's the root? Does it mean anything to you to be part of the same worship of God and the same relationship with God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It thrills me. Because Jesus said it should be thrilling when he, when he mentioned it to the centurion. And he's going to mention it later here, and he's already started in Romans 9 with it, and Romans 4 is about it, and Galatians 3 is about it, and Galatians 4 is about it, and Hebrews 11 is about it. Abraham gets far more uh, mileage and verses in Hebrews 11 than anyone else. This is the friend of God. This is the father of the faithful. So we partake of the root and the fatness. Why? Because we're supported by them. They're the ones that have conveyed the worship of God for 2,000 years to us. Right. And you say, well, they were so disobedient. That's exactly what the problem was in the church at Rome and in every New Testament church. Because all those Gentiles had to do was read a little bit of history and say, you know, if we'd have had blessings like they had, we'd have never been like those Jews. And so the apostle comes along and tells them, don't you boast against the branches. You're going to be cut off faster than they were cut off if you don't believe. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, wert grafted among them, wild in what sense? Worshiping false gods. Unbelievers in the world without hope. Outside the commonwealth of Israel. All the things that Ephesians 2 describes. But we've been plugged in. Elect, regenerated, and converted. An an incredible work of God. That we should... We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. That is election, that is regeneration, and that is conversion. Chosen to it and made partakers here. 
And we partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. This is not describing some vital, internal, spiritual feeding off of Jews. This is describing our conversion. Because I want you to remember that there are branches of this tree that have been broken off. If this is, if this is necessary for vital salvation, then the branches that are broken off are lost. But the branches that are broken off are not lost. All they have lost is gospel privileges, and those are great. And they have lost church privileges and kingdom privileges, and they are on the outside now of the real worship of God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had started and was was reformed by John, Jesus, and the apostles. Boast not against the branches. That's the, that's the argument. That's the lesson that we want to get. Respect the origin of the kingdom of God. You know, for 2,000 years it's been Gentile. For 2,000 years, it was Jewish. And it has continued on. It was reformed. And we love Hebrews 9.10 where it says it was reformed. We love Luke 16.16 where it says the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Well, the kingdom of God had existed for 2,000 years, but the kingdom of God in its new form an invisible one rather than an external one like the nation of Israel under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ began with the ministry of John. There was a 40-year transitional period where both covenants ran side by side, where there was this large Jewish train still, still continuing, only some of them were God's elect, and there was starting up this new religion in effect, but it was really just a reformation of the other one. And that was John, Jesus, and the apostles preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, that had been prophesied for a long time. The dynasty of David continues unabated right through the transition. And the worship of God continues unabated right through the transition, though in a different form. And we've been grafted into it. And we don't belong there. We're there by the mercy of God. And God got us there by blinding some Jews. And once he got us there, we should be interested in respect and fear and care for those Jews and fear for our own standing in that kingdom and in that church and those gospel privileges. Boast not against the branches. And that ends a sentence that began in the first word of verse 17 where the apostle is drawing a line of reasoning if God broke some branches off that belong there and put you in his branches that don't belong there, Boast not against the branches. So the first thing is boast. And I've been telling you that for several weeks. One of the first lessons we want to learn is humility about us Gentiles. You know, we can look back at 2,000 years of church history and see how many millions have been converted through the preaching of Gentiles over the last 2,000 years and get kind of haughty. The apostle knows that. That's why it says in verse 25, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. We could get conceited thinking about what we Gentiles have done. Oh, those Jews were just a disobedient bunch of people. And so he's going to point out, yes, they were broken off because of unbelief, but uh, I think you stand by faith. I think you're in this relationship with God and in this thing by faith. See, it's by faith. It's the practical phase of salvation that they're broken off from, and it's the practical phase of salvation that they're grafted into, and if you go beyond that, you're going to get yourself in deep, deep trouble because you're going to end up with God's elect losing their eternal salvation or their vital connection with the Spirit of God. Are you with me on that? This is gospel salvation. It's been that way since verse 11. When it says salvation can come to the Gentiles, it's referring to gospel conversion coming to the Gentiles. We didn't get elect because Jews didn't believe. We were converted because Jews didn't believe. Boast not against the branches. It's pitiful when you read the Bible and you're thinking about every verse that you then have a but. The apostle has just given an apostolic inspired commandment. Boast not against the branches. But. Isn't that pitiful? Do you know what that means? Even when God inspires an apostle like Paul to tell us to do something, he's got to make provision for us not doing it. Do you understand that the Bible says that God made one wife for Adam? And God made Eve from one rib and brought her to Adam. That is what God intended. Monogamy. One woman for one man. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14 says, He had the residue of the Spirit. After he made Eve, he had a whole lot of leftovers sitting there on the counter, but he decided not to make another pie or another cake for Adam. He made, it says that. He made one. 
but he had the residue of the Spirit. Then why one? So that he could seek a godly seed because polygamy is disruptive to family peace and godliness as 1 Samuel chapter 1 should have given you a hint of it except for a great woman being involved. And so we come back to a but. You know, this reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let not the wife depart from her husband. If two Christians are having problems in their marriage, the wife should not divorce her husband. That is the apostolic inspired commandment. And that is where we stand. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. You would not believe the things I've heard in my lifetime about people thinking that it's okay to separate from your husband. Because of that verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 7. The commandment's already been given. Let not the wife depart from her husband. Period. That's one sin. If you go ahead and depart and you remarry someone else, then you have two sins. And now you're in a predicament that you can't get out of. Do you follow? Well, here we go. Boast not against the branches. But and if. It's discouraging reading it, thinking of the apostle and the Holy Spirit of God having to take provision. Oh, by the way, let me run back and tell you why I was worked all up about Malachi chapter 2 and Hannah and Peninnah and all that stuff. And, you know, God said one man, one woman. But then in the law of Moses, you can see here and there provisions made for a man with multiple wives. Because at least if they're going to be hard-hearted and so selfish and greedy and covetous, I'm going to put parameters on it to give it some semblance of order. And so there were particular things required if a man had more than one wife. So it's marry one woman, but and if you marry another, here's what you, here's the rules you got to follow. I know that was a long rabbit trail that was sort of unnecessary, but I get so many questions and people wonder, why do we have to read about Elkanah and Hannah and Peninnah? Why can't it just be Elkanah and Hannah? Well, why is it David and Michael and Abigail, and Bathsheba, and Ahinoam, and, and, and. Because men have been sinners, and there's a lot of comfort in Scripture. You and I both know today that though we come into this house and we want to be the most faithful Gentiles God's ever had, we have sins in our lives. But if our hearts are seeking Him, and if we're confessing our sins, and we love the worship of God, He is a most merciful Heavenly Father. Amen. And He controls the, th- the times we step outside by some of His other statements. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. If you're going to go ahead and open up your mouth, which you shouldn't, because I've just told you you shouldn't, because this lump is holy. This kingdom and church is holy. It's 2,000 years coming from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you're going to boast against it, you're foolish. Because if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. This church has 2,000 years of history, and you are a late addition. We might as well call you Gentiles associate members. Because you're coming 2,000 years late. You're being born by them. And remember, brethren, if we see it any other way, we're going to get in deep trouble. Do you understand that? If we see that this fatness that we're partaking of is the fatness of being in Christ of John chapter 15 and living off of the Spirit of God from the Lord Jesus, we're all messed up. Because then these Jews that were broken off lost their salvation and we can lose our salvation because the next few verses are going to tell us we can be broken off. It's just, it's a metaphor. Do you understand that when it's a metaphor and it's describing a tree and it describes a root and fatness, it's talking about the nutrients are flowing through a 2,000 year tradition and history of the church of the people of God who have fought against the enemies of God for 2,000 years and we've been made part of it. That's all it's telling us. Or we're going to have to get into photosynthesis because I want to tell you that the nutrients in a tree are not only flowing upward, they're also flowing downward from the leaves. And so we're going to have to get into photosynthesis and then we're going to have to get into pollination. And I'm not trying to be funny. I want to rightly divide the word of truth. I have sweat bullets trying to help you just sit there and eat it. And I've sweat bullets for a long time. 
and I have wrestled back and forth. How do you make the whole chapter stand as one solid message about the Jewish church, the Gentile church, and how they relate together, and what's being broken off, and what's being cast away, and how can they be grafted in again, and how do they stand by fear, and why shouldn't they boast? And I'm telling you right now, Lord, have mercy upon us all. But if thou boast, if you go ahead and boast, and I've just told you not to boast, because this is a holy 2,000 year history that we're dealing with, and you're a wild olive tree, and you don't really belong in this tree, so don't boast. But if you boast, remember, you don't bear the root, but the root bears you. You are not upholding this thing. There are 2,000 years upholding this. That kingdom in heaven has Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, there's 24 elders there. Do you know where the first 12 come from? The first 12 represent Israel, and the other 12 represent the apostles. Do you know how many are Gentiles? Just go ahead and give me a number. How many of the 24 are Gentiles? None. Okay. None. Let's be thankful today. Amen. Rejoice with His people, ye Gentiles. That's why I love those verses in Romans 15. Rejoice with His people. They're His people. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He didn't come to Gentiles. He told His apostles, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right. He came to His own. The Jews were His own. Okay. Let's just move forward through these verses because they're all saying similar aspects of the same thing. But if thou boast, which you shouldn't do, thou bearest not the root, but the root bears you. Verse 18, that means the foundation, the pillars of this church are founded in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the great men that descended from them. And you're being attached here 2,000 years after the beginning. They're upholding you. You are not upholding them. Thou wilt say then, well, here's the next argument. You know, first of all, he said, don't, they're holy, don't boast. But if you do, this is what you're saying, and it's wrong. Then he says, you're probably going to come up with this thought. The branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, good job. You remember verse 11, the apostle is saying to his audience, you remember verse 11, that salvation has come to the Gentiles. Well, and then he adds this little thought. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. If you want to start talking about getting broken off, remember why they were broken off from their standpoint. They were broken off for you Gentiles to be grafted in, I'll grant you, well. But, remember from their standpoint why they were broken off, because of unbelief, and you're in it because you've believed, therefore you are as vulnerable to being cut off as they are, as they were. I should say, Thou wilt say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. So it was first, boast not, now it's don't be high-minded. And I've been trying to teach you these things. Let's show the humility and the fear that we ought to have. Be not high-minded, but fear. And that's what we wanted, that's what this generation especially had to do. You know, we don't even, we don't even have very many feelings because we don't have this conflict going on between Jews and Gentiles. And there's a whole conflict going on with some nation over there in the Middle East right now, but that's not God's Israel, and that's not God's elect, and that's not God's church, and that's not God's anything. And so we don't really understand and appreciate what was going on in this generation between the Jews and the Gentiles. Do you know what it would have been like for Paul to get up and face a congregation with half Jews and half Gentiles? There was resentment flowing back and forth about the way they lived their lives and about their heritage. You know, the Gentiles were just flat out thrilled that they had been brought in, but they were making fun of the Jews for not maintaining themselves with all those blessings for 2,000 years. And so we were transitioning right here at this point from learning the lesson of being not high-minded, don't be proud, don't boast. Be humble to one of fear because they were cut off because of unbelief and you're in because of belief. What if you don't believe or continue in your belief like you should? God will cut you off. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. If those natural branches that belong there, they were children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Third time, still able to do that. 
there'll come a day where I won't know when I'm repeating myself. <laughs> then just a little long hook, come out and pull me down. But for now, that's the third time, verse 28 in this chapter, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. They are the natural branches. They're there because of their relationship to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they belong there. No wonder. Do, do you appreciate a little bit more why Paul would start off by saying, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart in 9.2? Why he would say, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved in 10.1? Studying this for you, I have come to see that as an overriding, overwhelming lesson of the whole three chapters because the apostle starts with it and he's going to end with it. His final words are going to be about it in verse 32 and, and verse 31. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. From beginning to end, it's compassion instead of haughtiness. How long would you have taken to the Garden of Eden if it had been you instead of Adam? The same as a, soon, I would have sinned sooner, B, the same as, or C, I'd have held out longer. What kind of spirit do you have? If you would have been the generation that outlived Joshua and the elders, A, would you have fallen faster to idol worship? B, about the same speed. Or C, you would have held out longer. How do you view the history of the Bible? I tell the Lord I'd have gone down sooner. And I'm thankful that they held out as long as they did. Right. Instead of thinking myself to be so haughty that I'm better than the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the church of God through all those generations. Right. And it doesn't really matter back then anymore, does it? Because it's A, B, or C right now. What are you going to do right now about serving the Lord and continuing in His goodness? Be not high-minded, but fear. These are the lessons that the apostle is trying to convey to a Gentile church. You say, how do you know he's speaking to Gentiles? He told us that in verse 13 right here. For I speak to you Gentiles. See, he's trying to calm our fathers in the faith down who were a little high and mighty about being brought in in pretty large numbers. And that the best apostle was their apostle, the apostle Paul, and on and on it went. You know, I am of Paul. Well, I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Christ. I don't follow men like you three guys. You know, and on and on it went. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed. Take heed. And I'm saying to you today, what can we draw from this for us today? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you a heart of unbelief. Lest he also spare not thee. Someone will say to me, you know, the way that you're preaching Romans chapter 11, it isn't as directly applicable to me as I thought it was. Does that bother you? When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about speaking in tongues and praying in the Spirit and having a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and being a prophet, does it bother you that they don't really apply to you at all? Or do you understand that in a transitional generation that we're 2,000 years removed from, there are some things being taught that do not directly apply to us? 1 Corinthians 12 doesn't directly apply to us. Are there principles in 1 Corinthians 12 that we can benefit from? Definitely. And we've been there before and done that. How about 1 Corinthians 14? Yeah, same thing. It's true here as well. This is a transitional generation, and this was a breaking off and a graphing in that was done then. And, but that the warnings to us remain because for 2,000 years, various, have you ever, have you ever seen the tree of the church? Yeah. In the trail of blood? That 2,000 year history of the church and off goes a branch into some heresy. Off goes another branch into a heresy. Off goes another branch. And then that branch gets big and big and big and big until it dwarfs what the apostles actually started. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Behold, we should look and see and consider. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. And this leads us to thanksgiving for us Gentiles. On them which fell, severity. 
They belong in the tree. You say, well, they're unbelievers. He broke them off. He blinded them. Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant, lest you should be ignorant of this mystery, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. The Lord blinded some of his own people. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. And this is not talking about eternal life or eternal damnation. This is talking about gospel, church, kingdom, privileges, versus losing them and worshiping a false religion in a false church. The Jewish church, left desolate by the God of heaven. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, that's these elect Jews that lost their gospel privileges, severity. But toward thee, goodness. And you know, all the way through here, these that have fell, fallen, did not fall from eternal life. They fell from practical phase salvation. They fell from conversion because they can be brought back in same way. They're the ones Paul thought he, he wanted to save some of them even in his lifetime by his efforts. Behold. When that word appears in the Bible, we want to stop and look and consider what is there. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Because Paul has pointed out in verse 20 that they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith, therefore your faith is the condition for you to remain in this church with these gospel privileges. How What did it take to get into the church? The violent took it by force to get into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You had to repent and be broken. If a man fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he would be broken. But if Christ fell upon him, he would be ground to powder. That The Pharisees and the scribes, the Jews, withheld the key of knowledge and kept some from entering. A bad minister, a faithless minister, an unfaithful minister, a heretical minister, a minister who doesn't guard his personal life can cost a whole congregation. In 1 Timothy 4.16, a faithful one can save himself and them that hear him. And so the warnings here are given. You stand by faith. Verse 20, you should be fearing. Verse 21, take heed. Verse 22, if thou continue. So the apostle, if you think about this sermon to a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, and for the moment he addresses the Gentiles because of verse 13 and reads them the riot act, you know, there's Jews sitting over there saying, Amen's quietly. Amen. You know, if the first fruit be holy, then the lump is holy. Amen. Abraham and Isaac. For 2,000 years we've had the church, but these Gentiles are being read the riot act right here to humble themselves, respect that Jewish church, take heed to themselves. They stand by faith. They could lose it. And if they continue in His goodness, this is goodness that you continue in by faithfulness. There is goodness that God has poured out upon us that is dependent upon His goodness only. Because it seemed good in thy sight. In Matthew chapter 11. But then there's goodness that we can keep. You know, the Bible says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You can fall away from loving God like you should. Loving Him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we want to keep that. We want to continue in His goodness. And what is this goodness? It's being put in the gospel, kingdom, church, privileges of the New Testament. But we can be cut off. Branches broken off. And you look down through history and you see the persecution that arose and the heresies that arose and the heresies that are around us today and the Apostle Paul crying out to us in 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4 about the perilous times. But we want to earnestly... In Jude chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, It was needful for me to write to you that you would earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. That faith that was once delivered. That's Jude writing in the first century. What about us 20 centuries later? If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. 
from these wonderful privileges of having the worship of God, the kingdom of God, the lordship of Jesus Christ over and in his church, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember that if a church lost their first love, what did Jesus Christ say he would do to them? He would remove the candlestick. What was that removing from a church? That was removing the vitality of the Holy Spirit from a church so that the organism is now an organization. It is dead. It is a branch with no leaves on it. And it's a church. The people still gather together every Sunday and do something that has some semblance of religion, but they no longer have the Holy Spirit of God in them. They are no longer a living branch. They're broken off. It's been going on for 2,000 years, and this is all stated in the first century when the New Testament was written. Otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And so today, each of us needs to ask ourselves, how faithful am I going to be? I came to you very burdened this morning and oppressed by the thoughts. Oh, I get encouragement of it eventually. And then with a good wife who comforts me in the middle of the night. So many are not continuing in His goodness. So many are disciples in word and not in deed. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32, to some that believed on him. And that is what we want to take out of this for ourselves. I am telling you how it was understood in Rome. I am telling you what the Apostle Paul meant by it. I am telling you what the Holy Spirit inspired. But what do we take from it? We must hold fast and be faithful to the things that we have been taught. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. So, in verse 16, the Gentiles were told that the Jewish church was holy from beginning right through the present time. In verse 17, that if some branches were broken off for you Gentiles, you're wild and you don't belong there. So verse 18, don't boast. But if you go ahead and boast, just remember you're being supported by 2,000 years of church history and you have none. You, and if you pop up in verse 19 with the idea that they were broken off for you, just remember that they were broken off because of unbelief, and you're in by belief. Therefore, if you don't keep believing as faithfully as you should, you'll be cut off because it'll be easier for God to spare you because you're not the natural branches, and you should behold the goodness and severity of God and understand that He has been very good to you, and you should continue in that goodness, and you should continue in that goodness with humility, and you should continue in that goodness with some fear. And then, and they also, and this should be the evangelistic part of the passage, you Gentiles, you should look across the aisle at the Jews that are sitting in your assembly in Rome and love them. And, well, they're all, they were already converted. They wouldn't be sitting in the church at Rome. I hope you can follow my twisted illustration. They should be compassionate like the Apostle Paul was for elect Israelites to be converted. And they also, they also, just like you, we're grafted in because of faith and by belief, can be broken off because of unbelief. They've been broken off because of unbelief. They can be grafted they can be grafted back in if they believe. They also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature, that's the kingdoms of this world, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, that's the kingdom and church of God coming from Abraham and the patriarchs. How much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So instead of resenting some of those Jews that are enemies of the gospel, will you assist me, brethren, in seeing them converted? Because they can be grafted back into the olive tree. And so we have Romans 11, verses 16 through 24, describing the situation that has happened in Israel, that there is national Israel, there is elect Israel, and there is blinded elect Israel. And we're supposed to see all three. And verse 25, he's going to take up and explain to us that it is a mystery that he did not want them to be ignorant of, lest they would be wise in their own conceits. And he goes on and explains, all of elect Israel shall be saved, because God has made promises to save them in his everlasting covenant. And though they are enemies of the gospel, in verse 18, they are still beloved and in the election because of God's faithfulness that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would always have a seed, and they did. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word, and may He bless us to be faithful and to continue in the things that He has taught us, and not to fall away like so many have. How should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That was spoken to Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2, 
but it's the same to us. We can be cut off. We stand by faith. How many of you are willing to stand and continue to stand? See, it doesn't matter that we have stood. It's are we standing today and will we stand tomorrow? If we continue in His goodness, that's looking at the future. Are we committed? And are we committed to helping one another continue in God's goodness? He has been very good to us. Let's continue in it. And Lord, help us to continue in it. As Psalm 85 said so well this morning, that middle section that Matthew outlined is perfect. Wilt thou revive us again and show us your salvation? And though God had turned His anger away from them, did you hear the prayer? They wanted more of it turned away. More blessing. There is no limit to what He can pour out. There is no limit. You've never experienced all of it. And so let's ask for more and let's live for more. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.